has been in our midst for a long time, and I think uh, most of you already know him. And without further delay, I get the following time to Kevin.
the topic. Okay. 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 Yeah. Better. Better. So, um, Gordon um, presented me with the uh, the opportunity to um, preach on the uh, topic of discipleship. As uh, as uh, as a pastor or not as a as a, as a part of my training, I always like to focus on expository preaching. That means preaching from a text. And so it was very difficult for me, so I had to think about it for a while. And so I thought, of, you know, well, first I should find out what is a disciple. And so I looked it up, like most of us do, on the web, you know, and I got this definition. Uh, one who accepts and, and assist in spreading the doctrine of another, such as Christianity, one of the twelve in the inner circle of Christ's followers according to the gospel accounts, a convinced adherent of a score individual. So, of course, what would you think of when you think of the disciple? Well, I thought of my favorite movie, Ipmah, and uh, the historical characters that, uh, uh, that the, the, the movie belies. And, uh, and uh, Ip Man, of course, was a famous instructor of uh, Wing Chun. And he, uh, uh, you know, had his adherents. He had his disciples. And uh, they had a uh, master-disciple-like relationship. And um, so um, uh, there was, a, a, you know, a kind of a, a respect for the master and respect for his training. Um, so what are the attributes of a disciple? There's someone who follows a master and teacher, someone who accepts instruction and even uh, discipline from a master, someone who imitates their master or teacher, and someone who reveres their master and teacher, and someone who promotes the God of his teachings. And um, so, you know, these people that train under Ibman, they, they fight like Ibman, and they uh, they, they promoted uh, Wing Tung. And um, so, um, of course, there were clashes with the other schools, you know, the other schools of Kung Fu, there's clashes. Okay, so we as disciples of Christ, okay, we are, have, we are in a clash with our culture. There's a different um, thought process in the world. The, wor this, the world's majority viewpoint has turned against holy living. Okay. Christians have either have to compromise or suffer the consequences. Dishonesty and deceit are common practices. We've seen recently in the news the, the problem with uh, Volkswagen cheating on the uh, emissions test. We saw Wells Fargo creating a a lot of uh, false accounts. Okay, so there's a lot of pressure in the workplace to fall in line, to go along in order to get along. Okay, and Jesus warned us that there's a cost to discipleship. Okay, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must 
deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So, being a disciple first requires mental preparation. Okay, it says, therefore, prepare your neon minds for action. Mental preparation is required for any focus activity, such as a task or physical competition. And Jesus himself saw the need for this um, physical, for this mental preparation. He went off up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. So if Jesus, in, as an incarnate man, needed to do this, so do we. So when I first translated this, I translated this from Greek, and the original translation came across as gird up the waist of your mind. Uh, wow, that's pretty strange. So I thought my translation was bad. But actually, my translation was pretty good. Okay? The, 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 the actual Greek says, gird up the loins or the, 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 the waist of your mind. And the idea was, at that time, okay, men uh, would wear these long robes and um, but they're cumbersome, right? As some of you ladies might uh, could identify with if you were in a situation where you had to run or fight, uh, you would be in a difficult situation. If any of you gentlemen are, have been wearing these types of uh, clothing and you're not uh, playing the bagpipes, so I want to talk to you about your holy living afterwards. But um, we accept all people, but there are certain things. We're here to contour that living as you But in any case, you ladies might have thought of this. What am I going to do? Something happens and I need to rush. Okay, so, but in any case, uh, the, the idea is this, that they would take these long robes and wrap them inside of this belt, and then you can see he's ready to fight. The, the man's ready to fight. And so, what, you know, I, I want to tell you something about the um, structure of this uh, text, because I struggled with it. Okay, so, in this text, there are four imperatives, four main verbs. It's set your hope on the grace that is brought to you through Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, be holy. Love one another deeply and crave the pure spiritual mouth of the Lord. So, so as an expository preacher, that's what I would want to preach. But, this is a topical sermon. So, I gave myself an out. Okay? I said, okay, I'm allowed to deviate slightly from the grammar because this is a topical sermon. So I changed my main points. And one of the reasons that I picked this as a main point is because it's a prerequisite. Is that the, the, the language would be after you have prepared your mind or after you have girded up the loins of your mind. Then you set your hope. And, and, and while 
while sober, while you're sober, set your hope on the grace that came to you, that will come to you in the time of Jesus' coming. So, this is a prerequisite step. This is a, a, a critical step to setting our hope on the grace that, is, that will be coming when Jesus, is, when Jesus comes. So this is a critical, and so therefore I justify making it a main point. And so uh, this alone will probably take you a month of work. So I figured I got enough work for you guys to do. So um, I'm going to keep you busy. So this, some steps, and these are suggestions to prepare your mind, is to memorize scripture. I often thought we should take a day or an afternoon in the church and send everybody to a room and have them write out all the verses that they can write out from memory. And just see how far you get. Because, you know, I've been working on it, and I'm not doing that well. Okay, but what if, you know, number one, um, it's really, really good to have Scripture in your mind. It's there. And it's, it, it's available to fend off temptation. <coughs> To give give you right thinking, okay. But number two, what if our country was suddenly overtaken? You know, we're talking about the political, pan, 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 uh, you know, Pandora uh, we have today. What if suddenly there was a declaration nobody can have the word of God in? Where would we be? Okay, so. Memorize scripture. Sit down and write it out and see if how many verses you can write out and work on. Okay, spend time alone with God in quiet meditation. This is difficult for us. With all our electronic devices, we are not accustomed to this. And what I would recommend is that you take time and you just kneel before the Lord and you just say to the Lord, I'm here, Lord, and just wait. It's going to take some discipline. It's, it's a discipline. It takes work. And you're going to sit there for five minutes and think you've been there for an hour, okay? But after a while, you get used to and you get, uh, you start to enjoy just being in the presence of the Lord. And it also gives the Lord a chance to speak to you. So I'm going to recommend that you take up this discipline, spend some time alone with God in quiet meditation. Have a daily time of examining your life for sin and repenting of it. Okay, so. Uh, I generally do the first two items in the morning, and then the, at the end of the day, after I've made multiple mistakes and had multiple sins, I do the uh, number three. Okay, and um, the um, this this task, and this is just the way that I do it. I ask, I I knew, I, I you know, I get in a, a position for prayer. 
And then I asked the Holy Spirit to probe my mind, to reveal to me where I have sinned. And sometimes it will happen that the, the, the Holy Spirit will reveal to me, oh, you had a jealous thought. Oh, you had a, uh, a, a, a thought where you were uh, so, uh, you know, lusting after money or, or you know, money was, was your, your becoming your main focus. Or you had a, a failure of faith. And so this time of examining is very important for maintaining that close relationship with God. Because you can repent of those so there's not this long, ongoing period where you have unconfessed sins. And you can pray because there's truth, generally speaking, there's a bigger issue. Okay, there's a there's a more fundamental problem that you have not relinquished the control of your emotions in that area to God. And so you can repent of your sin and then God asks the Holy Spirit to begin working with you to help you to relinquish control of that area of emotion or that area over to, to God to transform it into uh, the way that it should be. The um, the next item. Oh, this. You know, the Lord's timing is perfect. You know, there's no lunch next week. All right. So the Lord's timing is impactful. Okay. So the next Sunday afternoon would be an excellent time for you to fast and pray. And you can do that together. Okay. You can stay at the church and. And fast and pray. So, why why is um, fasting important? First of all, <clears throat> we can notice the scriptural model that Jesus fasted prior to uh, to his um, beginning his public ministry. A second instance, and you can look this up, is in Acts thirteen two where uh, the church in Antioch was praying, worshiping, praying, and fasting. Uh, and, and, and they, 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 they concluded that they needed to send out uh, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, on a mission trip. So fasting is, is, is not just an Old Testament idea. It's something that we um, should implement. It's, it, Jesus did it. Uh, the saints at Ant the Church of Antioch did it. I, it. It has a value. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about my day so you understand, perhaps from a physiological point of view, maybe why fasting is important. So I get up very early. I do my study, then I go to the gym. I come home uh, after work, uh, eat dinner, I sit down in front of the TV to watch the news, and I usually fall asleep. What's going on, right? Nope, the blood has gone from my brain to digest my food, all right? I'm not alert. Okay, so that's another reason that fasting is a valuable discipline, okay? It's a time where you're devoting your blood of, of your brain to your brain to focus on the Lord. 
Okay. So um, I'm going to ask the unmarried people to tune out for one minute. Okay. There's there can also be a fasting in um, in marital relations. It has to be agreed upon by both parties, and there has to be agreed endpoint. And uh, for the same reasons that it allows you to have a focus uh, on the Lord for that period of time. So your young people, your uh, unmarried people can return to the sermon. <laughs> okay. Um, so fasting is, and by the way, you can look that scripture up. It's in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. So uh, regarding uh, what I just talked about. So fasting is a valuable discipline that I hate. Okay, my wife said, you're not going to like the test. Your two favorite activities are not there. So, um, but, you know, I love to worship the Lord, so I'm convinced she's wrong. All right. So, um, the, the next um, uh, participle in this um, section is be completely sober. Okay, so we always think of sobriety as um, just related to alcohol. But sobriety implies alertness and being in a state of mind where you can accurately assess a situation. So of course you can be intoxicated with wine or drugs, but you can also be intoxicated with lust, money, career, or even grades. Okay? You know, so those things can take over your mind and your thoughts. Okay, so the other day, I was sitting in my office with my man. He said, I'm going to make you all guys, all cloud architects. You're going to make all kinds of money. Right? So I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about this. I that's great. And then I start to think, I remember, I've done a lot of those certifications. They're a lot of work and take a lot of time. And quite honestly, I, I want to do my job and I want to be good at it. But, um, you know, I, I am also focused on, you know, learning the Bible. And these are the things that I don't want it to consume me. But what, I'm, what I want to make you aware of and to be careful of just don't let these things intoxicate you. Okay, that they grab your full attention. Then you are no longer alert to the dangers. Okay, there's a danger with want, with greed and with just wanting to make a lot of money. Okay, and you need to balance that. So don't be careful. Don't don't limit this um, this concept to simply uh, alcohol. Now, I'm going to tell you about a verse, and um, it's, it's actually a whole section. And this is in Ephesians 5.18. And um, so this verse says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is the antithesis of being drunk with wine. So being filled with the Holy Spirit implies sobriety, alertness, and a very, um, you know, very conscious and in control of your actions. Again, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the grammar of that section because so many people get it wrong. That the, the, the verb, the last verb in that section from 5.18 to 6.10 is be filled. Okay, that entire section is about what is the description of what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are four participles or four uh, descriptive participles that describe what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with spiritual songs. Sing to the Lord from your heart. Give thanks and submit to one another. And that whole section about family and uh, households is all part of that. Okay, so that whole section is really a description or a how-to about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, a lot of people break that up. And um, what I want to tell you is, in relation to this topic, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the opposite of being drunk. So you should not act, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not act like you're drunk. And I know that there are some... Um, some thought that you will act like you're drunk when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you will, you know, babble and uh, do silly things. But I want to I'll put that out there that, I, that being, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're in control of yourself. And you're singing songs and hymns and praising the Lord and in control of your facilities and your body. Okay, so the, um, the next Topic, we finally got to the verb. Congratulations. You made it to the first verb. Set your hope upon the grace brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a main verb and a central man in this passage. Peter's audience was filled with awe all kinds of temptations. Okay? There was, in society, uh, there, was, there were all kinds of psychological and physical pressure to cave in. There was uh, a potential pull from a pagan way of life. There were, um, there, there were, uh, there was a surrounding, seductive, non-Christian worldview. You know, it sounds like modern-day America, doesn't it? Okay, this was Asia Minor. This was where the um, uh, Christians had been uh, spread to throughout the Roman Empire. And um, they had serious problems that uh, we can identify with. There were the, the public baths, uh, where, where, where uh, there was public nudity. Uh, there were uh, the, there was a, a practice in, in Greek households where the man would have a wife and then have um, uh, mistresses for uh, uh, 
uh, entertainment, and the wife would be for managing the household. Uh, it was a it was a morally bankrupt society that they were in. Welcome to modern day America. Right, we're pretty we're we're almost there. Right, we're almost there. And um, so there's a lot of pressure on us to cave in. And so, for this reason, they needed a reminder to set their hope on the grace that is brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. They needed to set their hope on the time to come, on where they're going. They're actually described as sojourners here. And that's what we are. We're just traveling through. Our home is in heaven. Like we need to set our minds and live as if we believe that. And as if our focus is uh, getting, being the kind of person that will be rewarded in heaven. And so, they needed to hear this. Okay, so Peter's readers cannot be expected to make the hard ethical decisions they needed to, to make if they had not soberly set their hope on the gospel. So that's why there was this first action, prepare your mind. There's this simultaneous action of being sober, and then there's this action of setting your hope on the grace that was brought to you. Then, when we do that, we're looking at, okay, if I tell my boss I won't write that code that deceives people and steals their money or cheats the emission system, I'll just say no. Because I know that if I lose this job, I'm still going to heaven. All right? And I haven't dishonored my Lord. Okay? And so, this is a reality in today's world. First of all, I want to tell you that there can be a cost to living crisis. And that things may not always work out in this world uh, to your benefit if you do the right things. But there is a reward in heaven for your uh, integrity. Okay, so this being said, okay, nevertheless, it requires a deliberate effort to focus on the grace that comes through Christ and not be tempted to put our hope in this world or our own efforts. So I want to say this about that effort. Okay, my friend in seminary was once described um, faith as a meritless work. Okay, so I really thought about that. I said, boy, that has a lot of, that's, that's profound. So I'm going to step out there and say, hope, your hope 
is a meritless work. Let me explain that. It doesn't earn your salvation. Your hope does not earn your salvation. But to say that it doesn't take effort to set your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ is just not um, reasonable. It does take effort. You have to make a mental effort to set your hope on that grace. You have to work at it and just focus on that. Okay, so the, the, the next point um, we're going to talk about is as obedient children, be holy as God is holy. Okay, first of all, the expectation is obedience. Okay, obedience means not conforming to the world's standards. Here's a couple areas that we as Christians should have changed, should have changed. Our priorities, our priority should be the gospel and our ethics. We uh, are not serving this world, we're serving God. And we serve this world only as long as it doesn't require us to compromise our ethics. That means you don't lie for your boss, you don't cheat for people, and you you, you have an ethical standard because your hope is set on the grace that, that, come, that is, uh, comes through Jesus Christ. One reason is our calling was holy. Okay, God made us holy and blameless. We're just going to, um, if you have your Bibles, you can look to uh, Ephesians 1 4 for one second. Um, and just see, you know, what God has done for us. You know, when we um, when we um, understand that, we begin to understand how great uh, a salvation that we have. Okay, we came out of a background where we were enemies with God. We were not uh, members of His kingdom. And we were not living uh, according to his um, principles. And we were actually at enmity with God. And God um, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, so God, knowing that all those things would happen, that we would basically become his enemy, he chose us. And he chose us to do something we were utterly incapable of doing by ourselves. That is to be holy and blameless. That's our call. So as disciples of Christ, we should be imitators of Christ. We need to conduct ourselves with reverent fear. Okay, the, the word for fear here is phobos. And that, it, that word is used in the book of Acts in two uh, uh, places very close together. Uh, and um, the first place is after uh, Peter preaches uh, the sermon 
and 3,000 people were saved. And he says that the, 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 the church was in awe of the apostles. They were in awe. Okay, so there's the reverence aspect. But then, uh, if you remember in Acts 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied about their contribution to the church. And um, Peter um, spoke to them, and the Holy Spirit put them to death. It says that it uses the same word that they were, uh, you know, with the bowls of the apostles. What does that mean? Of course, the apostles just, you know, through their words, just these people just died, all right? They're scared, okay? So the word contains both the meanings. Okay, we also want to, oh, uh, I just, you know, I just want to reverence God. I don't have to fear God. Okay, I'm going to put it like this. Okay, you should fear God like you fear God, like an a, a honorable father. Okay, so, you know, as long as you're obedient and you're doing the right things, you don't have to fear. But if you are disobedient, you have reason to fear because there's some discipline that is coming. Okay, so um, it's, there's, there's both aspects to that word, but we are, I believe, uh, to conduct ourselves with reverent fear. We're to reverence God and conduct ourselves because we, God, we, we, we are in awe of God, but also we should have a sense of fear about His discipline. And I, I can back that up. So we are sojourners just traveling through. There's a high cost of holiness. Okay. We need to think about how our holiness was obtained. It was not obtained with silver or gold or bitcoins. Okay. It was, it was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He uses the word redeem here. And what does the word redeem mean? Okay, so many of you are probably too young or don't know about pawn shops. But a pawn shop is where if you don't have much money, you take your article like a watch or whatever. It's yours. And you sell it to the pawn shop and they give you some money. And then later on, if you get more money and nobody's purchased it, you can go back and buy that same item back for more uh, for more money than you originally received for it. Okay, the pawn owners, the pawn shop owners always make money. Don't worry about that. Okay, so you were God's. Okay, you walked away from God. Jesus Christ came and gave his precious blood so that you could be bought back. Okay, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And that was the cost of your holiness. We always focus on our forgiveness of sins. But I want us to think of another aspect, and that is our holiness. Our holiness came because of the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's not show an attitude of ingratitude toward Jesus Christ. Let's not jump back into that sin he saved us. He paid with his own blood so that we could be holy. Let's not waste that investment. We 
have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, let's be great, show our gratitude, and live holy lives to the degree that we're capable. <clears throat> our sanctification is a process, and it requires our cont continued diligence in our lives to stamp out areas of resistance. You know, sometimes when there's a war and they say, okay, we, you know, we won the war, right? But there's areas of resistance that have not been, there's like outlying areas that haven't been totally taken over. And that's how it is with our salvation. We give our hearts to Jesus Christ. We become uh, one of his family. He is the new ruler in that domain. But there's outlying areas. We haven't totally given open our pride. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And just recently, Jesus dealt with my pride, okay, uh, and, and, and disciplined me. Uh, so um, there's areas of resistance. And so this sanctification is a process. And uh, Obedience enables loving relationships. So, the command is to love one another. Love one another righteously. Okay, that means, that implies that we should not be mistreating one another. So, just some more uh, distinctions between uh, how we should be imitators of Christ. There should be some areas of contrast between our former self and our present self. Okay, formerly we, we had an ignorance of God. We were not God's children. We were controlled by our desires. We had a feudal way of life. And we were affirmed by society. Okay? Now, we have knowledge of Christ. We're God's children. We're controlled by obedience to Christ, or we should be. We have a holy way of life, or we should. We're mis misunderstood and maligned by society. So there is a cost. So, Peter was, Peter's message is that it's better to suffer than sin. He was not denying that there's going to be a cost. He's not saying to them, oh, it's all going to work out right if you just do the right thing. He was not saying that. He's saying there's going to be a cost to this. But ultimately, you're going to be on a good, you're going to have a good relationship with God. And so, in today's workplace, you may be pressured to sin to get ahead, or ask to cheat, lie, or implement oppressive policies to keep your job or get ahead. You would be told if you don't, they'll find someone else who will, and they probably will. Some preachers today are telling you that everything will work out if you just do the right thing. Okay, what do they mean by that? I'm going to tell you that too. It's going to work out in heaven. I'm not going to say it's going to work out in this life. You may pay a price. Many people are you go to other parts of the world, many people are paying a heavy price for doing the right thing. So, we have already talked about conducting ourselves 
with Reverend Pierce. And the high cost of holiness. Okay, so we're on to this point. Okay, the uh, the next main verb here is love one another deeply. So, a, obedience should be a description of us. So, as obedient children, and um, so obedience should be a description of how we conduct ourselves. So, since you have an obedience to the truth, purify your souls for sincere love of the brethren. Reverently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but which is imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, there's true reasons given here that we should love one another. Love one another because you've been set apart. Love one another because you're eternally bound to God and one another. Okay, so we're, last, we're on to our last verb, which is crave. And um, there's a, a participle or an action that goes alongside, simultaneous uh, to that action of craving. And that is putting aside all malice and deceit. Now let's think about this for one minute. If I love somebody, truly love for them, and care about them, Okay, as I should for my wife. Okay, will I do anything that would hurt them? No. Okay, I I would try to avoid those actions. If the command is to love one another deeply, so it is natural that we should put aside all malice. Okay, it all deceit. I shouldn't be lying to people that I love. Okay? And hypocrisy. I shouldn't be like pretending to be something I'm not or pretending something is a certain way when it's not. I shouldn't I wouldn't be jealous if that if that person had tremendous success. If I love them, you know when when my sons have success, I'm so happy, right? I'm so happy for them. I'm not jealous. Like so they're doing better than me. I'm so happy, you know, because I love them. And that is how we should love one another. Okay? And so this, there's this action that we need to, that should go along with loving one another. Loving one another entails, okay, treating them right. It means putting aside all malice, all deceit. If you love your boss, if you love your company, you're not going to lie for them. Okay? I don't know what else to say there. We need to treat each other right, love each other firmly. Okay. Okay, and so this is a required action. And then, having put aside all of these things, we are to crave the pure spiritual mouth of the Word. Okay, this is this man, and it, it, it ties conduct to proper motivation. So we have 
the motivation and the, the desire to create this pure, pure milk of the word and that results in our conduct of treating each other correctly, righteously. So, uh, Adam and uh, Gordon were kind enough uh, to prepare um, some um, sample uh, samples of a of a rule of life, and um, I'm trying to find mine right now. So I want to bring this out. You should all have one of these in your bulletin. You have a, this sheet in your bulletin. So we're going to talk about this right now. And we're going to work on it to the point that we have time. And then we're going to stop. And then you're going to continue to work on it for the rest of your life. How long is it going to take? Um, so, let's talk about the first question. What is your vision? Okay, so when you answer this question, your vision should be what you want to become, or how, uh, what, what your, your view of your ultimate self is. So I've given a sample there of, of my vision, is to relinquish control of my emotions, desires, anxieties, resources, body, and inner self to God, and allow the Holy Spirit to transform me from the inside out into the image of Christ, and be used in the community of believers and uh, the body of Christ any way God sees fit and is most beneficial for the community based on my um, spiritual gifts and yeah, so that's my vision, to be a person who relinquishes the control of myself, my desires, and my feelings over to God. It just makes, my, uh, makes myself uh, available and fully submitted to God and be transformed into that person that God wants me to be. That's my vision. So the mission, the mission can be more specific. You can have a mission that's more related to your personality um, uh, and your gifts, and and um, so um, my uh, my uh, my one, one of my missions, that, and I hope to work on uh, uh, through through my retirement, is you know enabling others uh, to hear to hear and read the Bible in the language of their heart, uh, whether through missions, Bible translations, or in my day-to-day -day life. So that's that's my mission. That's what I'm working for, and you know, I'm studying for that and trying to prepare myself for that. The roles, the roles uh, determine your relationships to other believers and 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 to God. Okay, and the roles affect, you know, how you conduct yourself. Okay, and how you uh, how you act. Okay, they should, they should. Okay, and so. 
you know, I'm a child of God and a husband. So in that role, you know, as a husband, one of my objectives is to build up my wife spiritually, to uh, help her reach her spiritual potential. So I'm going to tell you some of the value of uh, the, uh, the first uh, point in this sermon, which is mental preparation. So every morning, I uh, study the Bible, I try to, you know, uh, spend some time uh, doing some uh, Bible study, and the Bible was in my mind, and then I go to the gym. But when I go to the gym, I have these profound thoughts that, you know, okay, so I have this profound thought that, you know what, looking at another woman's anatomy is not going to help me fulfill my role as a husband. Okay, so... Uh, you know, so, so, um, so, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm silly, but, right? but the point is that mental preparation is important for changing your conduct. So, having these disciplines in life and understanding your roles, creating your disciplines according to the roles that you have uh, can be, um, per, um, beneficial in you um, achieving uh, the, your goals and your mission and achieving your vision. So underneath this, there are daily, weekly, and monthly, and you could have annual disciplines that you can implement in your life, that you, you can put in your life um, could be fasting, time of quiet meditation, um, you know, uh, reading a book, uh, you know, for me it's, um, you know, translating the Bible and getting better at, at, at my Hebrew and Greek, okay, and so you can, um, for you, you could be uh, memorizing scripture, um, so all these disciplines that will help you to achieve your mission and your vision. So this is the task that I put before you, is to create a rule of life. Make it reasonable, make it, you know, uh, reasonably achievable, but somewhat demanding. You know, you know all that stuff about goal setting and all that. So, um, but I would strongly, especially young people, do this early in your life can get more and more scripture and it can be built up into your, into your life. It can um, just um, change your life. It can um, direct your life and direct your thoughts so that you don't get um, led astray and you don't compromise your, um, uh, your, yourself before the Lord and that you remain good. Let's pray and go. Dear Lord, I 